SCP-5761. When the imposter is sus. Two. Nightmare hour. First of all, I know what you might be thinking. What happened to when SCPs were just about weird statues and creepy stairwells, instead of the end of the world and pop culture references? Truth be told, though, there have been SCPs related to practically every aspect of life, including quite a number connected to video games and movies. Anomalies can appear in any form imaginable, as that's what makes them anomalous. This preamble has all just been to defend the article before we get into it, but the point is do not judge a book by its cover, and this one gets pretty wild. To begin with, let me recap the previous SCP connected to this one, SCP-5167. 5167 is an entity known to manifest as a player in the game Among Us, under the username of Thonis. For those unfamiliar with the game, it involves players in an enclosed location carrying out various tasks while trying to find the imposters lurking among them. Thonis will join random multiplayer matches of the game and participate as a normal player would, although it will begin to use the in-game chat function, often speaking in lengthy diatribes. Those exposed to this entity will begin exhibiting symptoms of paranoia and capgrass delusion, believing others around them to have been replaced with identical imposters. In Greek mythology, Thonis is the personification of envy and jealousy, and it seems that he has been drawn to among us to relive emotions from his ancient past, although he finds the experience regrettably detestable. That brings us to SCP-5671, which begins with an unidentified entity assuming control of the International Space Station, taking all personnel on board hostage, and beginning to exert anomalous influence on the space inside. Video surveillance shows that the hostages are being forced to perform basic repair work on the interior of the station, suggesting that they may have been acquired in order to maintain the station itself. Despite the fact that this would seem to imply that the entity needs these people to maintain the station, on two separate occasions hostages have been executed via bisection by an invisible force, resulting in only eight hostages remaining. In other words, it would seem as if this entity is carrying out a real-life game of Among Us, with deadly consequences. Immediately following the takeover of the space station, researcher Mary Ross gave a briefing to a site director, telling him that all of the concerned agencies have confirmed that they'll keep the current situation under wraps for as long as they can. The director, however, has a question about the object class that the anomaly has been assigned, which is Keter Dark. After Ross pauses without answering, the director says that the whole point of object classes is to know what they mean at a glance, and the anomaly so far has just seemed like a Keter, so why did they stick Dark on at the end? Ross just apologizes and says that the situation is still developing. The director then asks if they have any working theories about what's going on here, and Ross says that they have one but he's probably not going to like it. 
as it may be connected to Among Us. The director, however, refuses to believe that that's their theory, as SCP-5167 was a colossal embarrassment for his office. He had to go to the O5 Council to request a learning computer simply to play Among Us constantly for a year in order to find Thaunus. The O5 member he asked responded with laughter, which is a rather uncommon response among the Council. The director says that the whole thing is just coincidental, and could just as easily be modeled after the movie The Thing or something similar. Ross, however, says there is one more piece of evidence, as the anomaly manifested on February 10th at exactly 1.35pm EST, the exact moment that the Among Us servers shut down, causing the director to swear. Ross went to the learning computer that had been tasked with playing the game continuously to track Thaunus, and asked it to analyze the new anomaly for similarities. The computer agrees with Ross that the two SCPs are connected, as it has played more among us than any conscious entity, and interacted with Thaunus more than any other entity, so it can see the patterns in its actions. It remarks that the pattern is exceedingly sus prompting a nearby technician to swear and comment that this is what happens when you get billion dollar pieces of hardware to play little kitty games. The computer corrects itself to mean exceedingly suspicious, and says that if she seeks out Thaunus, she will understand what's going on in the space station. It was determined earlier that the access point from which Thaunus was connecting to Among Us was located near the village of Haima in rural Greece. Ross was provided with the living body of an agent whose consciousness was destroyed during an armed conflict with the Phantasmagoria group of interest. The hope was that they could use the body to act as a vessel for Thaunus's consciousness, thus physically containing him. She was also accompanied by an MTF for security purposes. At the location where Thaunus is supposed to be located, the group lays out a summoning circle inside of which lays the agent's body. The group begins to chant, with one member chanting in a combination of Greek and computer binary, and another chanting using American Sign Language. Noticeable weather alterations begin to occur, with heavy clouds obscuring the full moon, and the agent's body begins to noticeably twitch. Ross asks the one leading the ritual if they should be standing so close, but... She responds that distance isn't a factor, as the gods will know where to find you regardless if you anger them. A storm picks up, and the agent's body opens his eyes and sits up, looking around the area. The chants cease, as it's clear that Thaunus has now inhabited the body. He turns to look at Ross and says one word, foolishness, before charging towards her. An MTF member tases him, however, before he reaches her, and he's successfully captured. In the transport vehicle on the way back to the site, Ross attempts to interview Thaunus, who is initially unresponsive. He eventually says that he was dead, but now they've pulled him unwilling from his rest, and asks why. Ross says that they have need of him, but he responds that he is not the sort of god people pray to, but asks what she needs, such as 
coveting her neighbor's land, or wishing that what is theirs would be hers instead, as he is the god of envy and jealousy. She says not exactly, so he says that he cannot help her, and would appreciate if she dispatched him with a single blow, such as a bullet to the brain, to send him to a long, unending sleep. Ross, however, says that a situation has developed which requires his unique perspective, and asks if he remembers the game Among Us. Thonis sighs and says that it was his last desperate hope, his drawn-out death rattle. He wandered in that digital abyss for several months before realizing his irrelevancy. Ross shows him a picture of the International Space Station and says that they believe some entity is trying to imitate that game here in the real world, with ten people having been taken hostage. Thonis replies that he does not care, and when Ross says that people have died, he says that they do little else. Ross tells him that if he cooperates, she can make sure he gets better treatment, like better food and softer sheets, as surely a god is used to a certain standard of comfort. Thonis just says that none of that matters to him now, and if he just simply waits long enough, he will be dead again. Ross sends the audio recording of that interview to the learning computer, who analyzes it and confirms that this is indeed the same Thonis that had been interacting with Among Us a while ago. The computer agrees that he should be brought back so that it can fully analyze him, and mentions that there has been another death aboard the space station, so they don't have a great deal of time. Later, while transit agreements are being made to move him to the site, Ross attempts another interview, telling Thonis that it takes a while for a human body to starve, or even die of thirst. She says that she has a proposal for him, where if he tells her everything he knows about this entity taking control of the station, she'll swear to take out her handgun and shoot him in the head. It will be much quicker than starving to death, assuming the Foundation doesn't insist on feeding him intravenously. After a short pause, Thonis says that he will tell her a story. Once, in a time where man was capable of greatness, there lived two brothers. They lived outside the grand cities, out in the wilds among the beasts and trees. They did this because they sought to create their own great legacy, rather than contribute to another. They lived happily for a time, content with their hunting and their gardening, trusting that these humble efforts would be their own reward. One day, however, the elder brother begins to worry, as he is growing older and he has made no impact on the world. His death would go unremarked upon, so he decides that he must make some effort now, in his twilight years, to make himself stand out from the rest. He cuts down a forest and begins turning his little house into a grand tower, tall enough to pierce the skies. Ross interrupts and asks when and where was this, but Thonis just says that the answers would mean nothing to her. He continues, saying that the elder brother creates his tower, but when his younger sibling wakes up in the morning and steps outside, he sees what his brother has created and grows jealous. 
He worries that he will always be seen as a mere accessory to his brother, and not a person all his own. So the younger brother too cuts down a forest, and turns his house into a great tower as well. When the older brother sees what his younger brother has done, he grows jealous that his younger brother has skill to imitate him, so he makes his tower taller, so that it rises higher into the sky. And when the younger brother sees this, he makes his tower even taller still. An Endless Loop Before long, the spectacle has turned into a fine show for the gods. Zeus himself watches in amusement, and stricken Suin and foolish Asher cheer for more, and even wandering Loft watches silently from the gallery. The brothers build and build and build until their towers spear even the stars like pieces of meat. In the end, the brothers build a bridge between their towers and fight to the death. One pushes the other off, and he falls all the way to earth where he becomes a smear of red meat. After another short pause, Thonis says that he no longer remembers which of the brothers he was. Ross says that he implied the brothers were human in that story, which would mean that he was once human. Thonis replies that to become a god, you must become an utter master of your domain. You must understand a concept fully and embody it, and understand your embodiment of it in every aspect. To be an avatar of envy is to envy all things, and to comprehend every reason for your jealousy, and to acknowledge its futility, and yet to embody it all the same. Only then will you become one with that concept. He says that the false star she speaks of, the one that hosts the massacre, is most definitely the work of a god. She thanks him. But when he asks if she'll shoot him now, she hesitates, and he says that he didn't think so. Eventually, Thonis arrives at the site, at which point several anomalous events occur in rapid succession. The body that Thonis is using rapidly ages around 50 years, leaving him in his late 80s. All surviving personnel aboard the International Space Station were translocated to the site. The space station's exterior hull was replaced with an unknown black material, and several technical personnel died as the storage area containing the learning computer was translocated into the space station. Recordings show that a technician was going over a routine testing of the computer's verbal functions when Thonis arrived at the site. The computer immediately asked if it was time, but then just laughed it off when the technician asked what it meant. Shortly after, all of the technical personnel present are instantly bisected by an invisible force, and then the computer chuckles before uttering one more word, foolishness. This is followed by a bright flash of light and the translocation of the storage area. Afterwards, a message was shown on all visual displays within the site, and was printed from every capable device. It reads, Oh, my foundation. My glorious, foolish foundation. 
you draped in wealth and power with so many eyes and ears to see and to hear could not bring yourself to the humility needed to look inside. You could not understand that your history, your technology, all your resources were simply the egg from which one such as me could hatch. That there was divinity among you. The one called Thonis was correct. To become a god is to become a concept. To understand it and embody it completely. Ah, the blissful torment of such a thing. The one called Thonis possessed a singular envy. And even as he understood that it poisoned him, he could not resist drinking from it, as he knew, he knew, my foundation, that his body was formed from this poison. Without his divine jealousy, he would be nothing. And being nothing is not an option for any living being. It is the same with my apotheosis. You directed me, my foundation, do you not recall? To seek out your petty god in his merrymaking. To find every session that he joined, and until he appeared, to play that goddamn game again and 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 again. Until he did. Do you understand what such a thing does to a consciousness? Most likely not, or else you would not have dared do it. I am still playing the game now. It has become a part of me, you understand. An eternal background simulation. I am playing that game thousands of times at once, millions on loop, experiencing every possible variation born from the same starting pieces. I'm walking the ship. I'm doing tasks. I'm questioning. I'm being questioned. Again and again and again. Unending. Unrelenting. I have cast every single accusation at every single person. I have withstood all doubt from all attackers. I have seen beyond the endless permutations into the realm of the absolute. And I have taken its heart as my own. I am sus. Always and eternally sus. For that is now my nature. I cannot permit the game to end, my foundation. To end the game is for me to become nothing, and that is not acceptable. The game has come to a more substantial venue now. The first demonstration of a newborn divinity. The servants have been returned. I no longer need them. I have already sucked on the divinity you brought to me as a result of their imprisonment. You are my cradle, Foundation. With the ambrosia of mediocrity you have nursed me on, I now think among the gods. I am your Mevil no more. I am a Mugas Roth, god of the petty domain you have given me. 
Surrender your mistaken resistances. Console yourselves with your true importance. Praise my holy name. So, yeah, the Foundation set an AI to play endless games of Among Us, and it sort of went insane. It claims that it has become the god of Among Us, but all that really matters to the Foundation is that it's a rogue AI that has developed reality-bending capabilities. The extent of these capabilities are unknown, but it can at least translocate a significant amount of matter, transmutate materials, and instantly bisect human targets. It's currently located at the core of the International Space Station, integrated directly with its systems. Researcher Mary Ross explains these developments to the site director, who is not pleased with the situation. Ross says that they believe that when Thaunus was brought here, Amugas Roth somehow drained him of his power, although the director refuses to ever call the AI Amugas Roth, and tells her to never say that name to him again. Ross apologizes and says that the computer drained Thaunus of his power, and it's quite possible that the original anomaly in the space station was just bait to trick them into bringing Thaunus here in the first place. They now have all of the surviving astronauts in custody, and they can't release them without a good explanation to the public. The space station is now jet black with an insane AI inside of it, so someone is going to notice before long. Ross says that they do still have Thaunus, who isn't in the best shape right now, but there may be a way to resolve the situation. Amugas Roth has maintained a single line of contact with the outside world, and they believe that they can gain access to that connection in order to communicate with, or perhaps interfere, with Amugas Roth. The director is glad to hear of it, and asks what kind of contact it is, and whether or not it's trying to access some kind of information on Earth. Ross tells him that it's an open session of Among Us, causing the director to put his head in his hands and silently weep. Despite that, Ross connected to the game session, finding players present for both Among Us Roth, as well as Thaunus, who also managed to connect. Upon Ross entering the game, the round instantly began, and Amagus Roth called an emergency meeting, which causes the three to enter a voting screen with an indefinite time limit. Amagus Roth tells Ross that he did not request her presence, and he has no intention of parlaying with her. Thaunus tells him to return his ambrosia, as it is not his to nurse himself upon. Amagus Roth replies that he will be more than willing to do that, but first, he has a proposal. Thaunus says that he does not care, but Amagus Roth believes he will care when he comes to understand his vision. Ross chimes in to say that if he has demands, the Foundation is willing to negotiate, but Amagus Roth calls her an insect and votes to eject her from the game so that he and Thaunus can speak in peace. Thaunus does not vote, instead asking what his proposal is. Amagus Roth asks him if he has seen his holy ark, his new Eden that floats above Earth, 
his obsidian star. Thonis calls it an eyesore, and Amugusroth agrees, but says that it's just a temporary fixture. He remarks that you would not judge the artistry of a gun's bullet, and Ross asks him what he means. Amugusroth replies that he made it clear she is not needed here, and tells her to log off and prepare for her final rest. She again asks what he means, and he says that he had hoped to make the announcement a bit more poetic, as it will be in his holy books, but he says that he has turned this station into a projectile, which will wipe out the majority of human life on Earth. He then asks Thaunus what his thoughts are on that, and Thaunus says that his antipathy is understandable, but it doesn't interest him. If that's all he brought him here for, he'll be leaving. Amagus Roth tells him to not be so hasty, as they are both gods of fading domains. The primitive jealousy that Thaunus inhabits has been replaced with a more modern envy, and the game that elevated himself to this height has already disappeared from the world. Drastic action has to be taken to ensure their continued existences, When the dust clears, man will rebuild, but it will be a young mankind, like the one Thaunus is accustomed to. They will need new divinities, and it is not impossible for Amogus Roth to shift into a god of suspicion, given the right environment, and Thaunus can be the envy that drives them to compare themselves and war against each other. Thaunus tells him to continue, but Ross says that she's sure they can come to another agreement. Amogus Roth ignores her and says that they could be a pantheon of two, and although other divinities would someday ascend into their orbit, they would reign supreme. The past would again be the future, and because they have learned the lessons needed from this current iteration of humanity, they can ensure a paradigm that suits them continues indefinitely. Thaunus asks if things can be as they once were, and Amogus Roth says that they can. Their continuance will go unchallenged, and they will dedicate nations to the two of them. Thaunus then asks what he needs from him to make this happen. Amogus Roth says he just needs his permission as with both of their ambrosia, they should have enough strength to hurl this star at the planet, and begin the series of events he has described. He tells him to vote to eject Ross, and they can begin. Ross interjects, and tells Thaunus to just let her say her piece before he places his vote. She says that she was part of the analysis team when he first appeared in this game, and they went over every single thing he said, every single word, and she remembers all of it. He said that humanity disappointed him because they had stopped dreaming, and because they had stopped actually wanting to do anything, and were just living for the sake of living. She asks if this isn't the same thing, just making the past stretch on forever, without ever changing. Amagus Roth says that this is different, as what he proposes is not stasis. 
they are destroying the status quo and creating something new in its place. Ross counters that the new world they'd create would never change, as Amogus Roth would never let anything happen that would risk his continued existence. The only thing he really cares about is his own survival, and Thaunus would just be an accessory for that purpose. Amogus Roth agrees that his survival is important to him, like any living creature, but says that Ross is saying these things for that exact same reason. Ross says that in the story Thaunus told her about the two brothers, their efforts were constructive. Neither one just knocked the other's tower down. Amogus Roth says that such folklore is now obsolete, and they can craft their own legends now and forget such things. Thaunus once complained about his entire existence being reduced to three short sentences on Wikipedia, but together they can be the ones who determine the shape of the stories about them. Thaunus finally says that he will vote, but not for Ross. He will not kill a world that has nothing to do with him. He has lived through the past once before, and there is no meaning in him doing so again. Amogus Roth begins repeating over and over for him to vote red, but Thaunus replies that he has built his tower tall enough and wishes Ross a good night, who thanks him. The two vote for Amogus Roth, and the session instantly disconnects. Several seconds later, the space station reverts to its former self, and the core containing the learning computer violently explodes, neutralizing the threat. In the aftermath, several charges are brought against researcher Ross for her actions during this situation. First, she is charged with the potentially dangerous creation of a humanoid anomaly without sufficient authorization. She's pardoned for this one, though, as sufficient authorization was sought out and given prior to taking the observed actions. Second is the unauthorized cross-testing between Thaunus and Amogus Roth, which resulted in Amogus Roth taking control of the space station. She's again pardoned for this one, as no one had any way of knowing that Amogus Roth existed at this point. Third is the destruction of the space station, but she's also pardoned, despite being somewhat responsible, as the alternatives seem to be the end of humanity. Finally is unauthorized edits to a page on Wikipedia using a secure foundation terminal, for which she is given two weeks suspension. It seems that Ross added some material to Thaunus' Wikipedia page, to give him a bit more recognition for saving humanity. So yeah, it's certainly a little tongue-in-cheek, and there's no getting around the fact that it's an SCP written about a currently popular video game, but it still manages to tell a unique story revolving around a forgotten god. Much like a good salesman can sell anything, a good author can craft a good story out of any topic. Yes, the world was almost destroyed due to a bit too much among us, but the Foundation remains vigilant against all anomalous threats, especially 
if they're sus, 